Hi and welcome everyone to uh, Talking VTE number 39, the first one for 2014. My name's uh, Stephen Ridgway and uh, we might uh, begin by um, starting with at least who I'm with Robin here face to face in Sydney. Hi everyone. And perhaps um, the everyone else. Starting with you Alex. Well there's, there's, well there's somebody else physically there with you isn't there Steph? Oh yes, well there is Geordie. But Geordie is working, working at the other end. He makes you be where he feels inclined. We can say hello, Geordie. Hi Geordie. <laughs> invisible force. That's right. That's I'm Rose, in, I'm, I'm in my pyjamas eating um, cheese on toast. Cool. And Alex Hayes here in sunny Canberra. Leah Gaggle here in dark Adelaide. Not so warm, unfortunately, <laughs> at this point in time. Is it still mm, raining in Adelaide, Leah? Nah, nah, it has. It, I've been away in uh, Wellington the last uh, few days, and when I got back, it was all over and done with. Oh, there you go. But it was, it was fairly fierce from what I've heard. Mm. It was. It was indeed. Well, look. I'm going to hand over to Robin and the tick, but this session tonight's devoted to the uh, NMC, uh, the New Media Consortium Technology Outlook, Australia Tertiary Education uh, update, I suppose, for 2014 to 2019. Uh, I guess many of uh, our listeners uh, and certainly the participants will be familiar with the NMC report that comes out annually, uh, and it's a sort of Overview of technologies and trends in higher ed, uh, mm, not just higher ed, higher ed uh, schools. They have a schools uh, variant as well, and they've got a museums one. And uh, Robin and Michael are probably have been on on the board for how long? That's Good five or six years. Five or six years, and uh, they've been significant contributors to, I suppose, an Australian vet or wider edu context. So uh, for those of you who have had a look at the wiki, you'll see that um, we've posted there the range of technologies uh, and trends that have uh, that have been outlined. But uh, that's what we're going to discuss tonight. But I'll, I may, I'll head over to Robin, I think, <laughs> rather than... Um, yeah, so it's unfortunate that Michael can't be here tonight, but um, I had a, a chat to him um, yesterday about it. So our thinking was that um, it's a good opportunity to for other people to have a look at the process and to input some thoughts um, to me, I guess, as as rep for us both, and and I'll attempt to kind of feed uh, anything that you would like me to back into the process. So. The way that it works is that um, it's essentially a part of the Horizon report, um, uh, you know, overall program. But as a regional area, they're now called um, Technology Outlooks. So it's it's Australia and it's higher ed, but it includes VET. So on the board in, in Australia, there's um, predominant, uh, quite a large group, but predominantly higher ed. So there's only a few of us who um, work in VET. And um, particularly for that reason, I thought it would be good to get some other, other thoughts to, to feed in. So the way that it works is that the group have a uh, workspace, which is the wiki that um, you were sent. And um, we work through a series of questions and a kind of a, a, a quite a, um, a set and regular kind of process um, that surprisingly all kind of ends up in the in the reports that you read. So we're, we're right at the start of that process and the list, if you've looked at the wiki, the list of technologies that are there, um, I imagine have come out of the other 
horizon report processes from the states, etc., um, and probably also brainstorm. But we were provided with that initial list as a starting point. And uh, at the moment, what we're doing is kind of reading through things, um, commenting where we would like to, and providing examples of where things are actually happening in um, in higher ed and vet that we know of. Um, then what happens is. What happens is uh, we have the opportunity to um, add to that list, but um, Michael and I were talking, we kind of felt that it was probably too extensive a list to begin with, so I don't know um, if anyone's had a look at it and have got any comments, but we'll get there in a minute. Um, then what happens is that we kind of narrow down that, that list somewhat uh, to a point where we end up with um, a few technologies that um, are voted as most significant for the kind of current to near future, and then um, mid, you know, th you know, three to five years, I guess, and then up to seven years are things that are, are much more on the horizon. And it's interesting how that changes. It, you know, we do it each each year, but it's really surprising how the outcome does change. Things that we thought were significant or not significant a year ago you know, often come to the fore. So. And the other thing that we do is look at um, just overall uh, trends that uh, are impacting on technology in higher education and also uh, issues that are impacting on the uptake of um, technology. So what I thought we we could do tonight is to get your input on those things. <coughs> Excuse me, and then as I'm working through the process, I can try to um, feature ideas. In. Yeah. Has everyone had a chance to have a look at the the technologies and trends there? I yes. haven't. I'd appreciate. Um, could we go through them briefly? Yeah, there's a there's a huge amount. Oh, okay. Sorry. We could give. I've just got the wiki link. If you, Rose, if you want to, I can post it into the hangout. Uh, the link no, to the do wiki. you know what I'll do? I'll get on my laptop and have a look over there. So. Okay. Thank you. Um. So any, uh, I guess I'm I'm kind of interested in your your thoughts about the list itself. Uh, in relation to education, I mean, it, your immediate impressions, and are there things that you you thought were missing from it? Well, um, if I could just chip in there, I mean, I, I thought it was a very comprehensive list, uh, uh, and you know, odd things on there. I thought, like uh, online learning. Well, that's rather curious, you know. That's a bit. I mean, I always thought about the NMC was about looking at trends that are either happening now, one one year out, or you know, emergent, maybe five years out. So I wouldn't have thought online learning would be in that category. Having said that, though. Um, you know, there there are lots of stuff there that um yeah, absolutely. What's missing? I know that was one of the questions. I don't know. I I couldn't think of much. I've been thinking about it for three days. They've got wearable technologies on there on the list. Possibly drones, uh, personal drones was one thing that um, sprung to mind, and certainly it's in education. Uh, the drones for schools Google group that Alex has. Um, um, initiated uh, shows that there is a lot of schools working in that space. Uh, I don't know. Do you think that fits into one of the categories that's there, though? Because some of them may encompass. It's you know, got an overlap with quite a few things, I reckon, uh, in terms of the enabling technologies. But it, it, it could be a, a category in its own right, I, I, I guess. 
But mm. I probably would agree with Michael that the, the list is is uh, is um, actually fairly long. So adding to it, I, I'm not sure uh, would. I, I'm wondering about a few things like electro vibration. Can somebody explain that one to me? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure that we can do that publicly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so I'm not sure in in terms of uh, of uh, e-learning what the enabling technology there is. From from my point of view, one thing I'm missing uh, where I spend a fair bit of time is sort of the Internet of Ah, oh, no, it is there actually. Sorry, it's in the Internet technologies, um, the Internet of Things. Mm. Yeah, I don't I, see I, learner dashboards on there, and the things that you're up to at the moment, Leo. So yeah, I would say that stuff. fits into learning learning analytics uh, largely uh, mm, from, from my yeah. point of view. Mm. You, think you know what I like in... about this list? I'm just having a look. The thing I like the most about this list is every other time I've looked at the lists from, um, is it NMC? That yeah. The, yeah. Um, I've, known, I've known what every single thing means. I'm seeing heaps of stuff that I don't know what the hell it is. So that's very exciting for me. Yeah. Mm. And I guess that's, you know, the that that's you know, the aim is to pick pick up things that are are very new and that yeah. in terms of education are a long way off. But hey, a lot happens in five years, doesn't it? Well this time it does. Yeah. This it's sort of exponential or something. It's um it, yeah, it feels it feels like it's. I feel like we really are in that space now. It's it's not just the stuff we already know about, and you know, like I remember a few years it, it was just you know, um, you know, World of Warcraft, not World of Warcraft, but Second Life and all that sort of stuff. This feels much more geeky and and digital. There's probably a lot there that um, won't uh, kind of touch. Uh, education, or, or and maybe they they will down the track. We don't know how how that might happen yet. They might refine to something that that is relevant, more relevant. But I, I want to get back to Steph's comment about um, being surprised that online learning is on there, and I'm kind of surprised that he said that, given what's happening in his institute mm -hmm. um, at the moment, <laughs> which is. Um, all of a sudden, a huge flurry of online learning. So really, a hundred percent online learning, yeah. which has yeah. never happened before. What do you, you mean? Describe through, it. We went through that long period of um, of you know blended learning being the kind of more pedagogically sound thing to to look at, and now what I am seeing in and it's not just where Steph works, but in a wide variety of places is that a lot of programs are being taken over by business units um, and we're back to where we were you know 10 years ago where oh we've got to put everything online because it'll be cheaper is that the driver Robin is it the, is it the cost that's driving it or is it is it student demand uh, ooh, it's a bit of both. Uh, I think uh, certainly quite a bit of, if you have a look for instance at Open University, you have a look at uh, SEEK, if you have a look at um, Open Colleges, etc. They are making money. Uh, there is a fully online uh, market out there, both in, both in the higher ed and uh, in the vet space. And yeah, I think our our, our organisation has certainly identified this market segment as potential um, potential revenue earner. What does it look like when you say online learning? What what is the student confronted with or given? Little. Oh well, it's it's a fully online environment. They, they don't come to campus, so. Uh, yeah. Do they read things? Is it, is it links or is it someone's written courseware or what What are they actually doing? Because it, it's such a broad term. What are they actually yeah. doing in these? Uh, look, I think it varies. Uh, you know, you've got the more sort of MOOC style uh, content that's very focused on video, small chunks, 
um, where people can enrol uh, in unit by unit, uh, or and they can pay. OUA's latest model is that you can you know you can enrol by, by unit and you can pay per week. So it's really you know sort of micro payments um, and very chunked right down. And yeah, you know that sort of um, current style is you know with the video content being sort of significant. Um, I'm I'm not. I'm not convinced that a lot of the providers are on the right track. I think their idea is to put a whole course, a whole qualification online, whereas I think what, you know, getting back to what you said, Leo, in terms of being learner-driven, learners are, learners are after those kind of, uh, you know, Chunky things, and actually, just just before a few hours ago, Geordie was showing me uh, a course site that he has used for to learn coding. It's called Course Code. Code School. Yeah, everyone's yeah. raving about that. Yeah. And um, it was a you know quite a much nicer interface than <laughs> the LMSs that we use. But Code School actually gives you exercises and you do them. It's not just it's not just flat content. Hmm. Interactive. Is it, is it just driving? Sorry. Is is it the cost factor that you mentioned before? Is it actually from the institutional side of things, or is it driving the cost down for the students as well? Like uh, one thing that I uh, uh, or caught my eye recently was. Um, um, UNE making uh, the online courses cheaper than the, uh, or uh, basically dropping student amenity fees and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that trend is there too, Leo, and that's particularly in the higher ed space, that's been quite, you know, I guess a bit of a bit of a paradigm shift where they can offer different pricing uh, based on online, and certainly with, uh, you know, full fee paying. Uh, providers like OUA uh, in the higher ed space, well, you know, they, they can charge as they want. Really. Mm. Mm. I guess some of them, um, some of them would be attempting to fit within the kind of traditional systems of, um, you know, vet and not vet fee help and and tax etc. And you would only get that for, you know, accredited things that are linked into a qualification rather than just um, you know, more bad stuff, I guess. Mm. So if that's what we're talking about, why is that on the list? Well, this is, this is from things that are significant, will be significant in the next year. So, you know, there are things mm. right through to seven years. So what you're seeing on the list there is from basically now for seven years looking, looking ahead. It would be good to see our managerial systems in there somewhere. Yeah, and oh, maybe, no drop, maybe drop cellular networks because if they're not ubiquitous by now, then yeah, what is? Yeah. Location-based servicing or, or just GIS, geolocation, is, wow. is so generic at top level. It needs to be more specific, drilling down. An enabling technology should be an un, it should, well, an example is an unmanned aerial system. It's a sensor-based network system that's aerial, whereas geolocation is, or GIS is, you know, it's it, it's yeah. it's just everywhere. Can we have unpersoned, or do they have to be unmanned? No, it can be unpersoned. Yeah, it's actually referred <laughs> to sometimes as unpersoned by Peggy Taggart, yeah, from from uh, UIS Systems in Australia. What's effective computing, by the way? Effect affects people. Yeah, I had a. I went in there and had a had a yeah, bit of a bit of a read. In. Interesting. There's just a short in each one. If you click on it, there's uh, just. Ah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, mm. I'll stop asking question and I'll read first. That's right. I think wearable technologies is very poorly described. I'm gonna have to log in and actually add a whole heap of examples. In no, these, just send it to me and I send it to me okay. and I. Well, my last G, G plus feed or Twitter feed for the last three weeks has got educational applied examples of 
um, not just glass, but many other head-worn technologies in an educational context. Not just this, in is US, in, this is in Australia. Yeah, no, it's not in Australia. It's in the US. So yeah. what we're looking yeah, at we, is, if we, we're looking we, at, we want to find. Remember, we're focusing in this instance because there are reports well, done in the states. Instance, we're looking for examples yeah, well, in Australia. Well, I suppose we could refer to wearable Wednesdays with Rob Manson's work. Uh, and that's applied and that's in Sydney and Canberra and the invitations have gone out and he is developing and working in the educational context. You know him, Stefan, so uh, you could ask what he's doing it's in, in an educational context in Australia, development. <laughs> yeah, I was just reading perspective computing. I love the way... Sorry, Alex, didn't interrupt you there. I, yeah. I agree entirely. Um, I just the whole idea that it's a facial recognition but with a sort of emotional spin, so the yeah. idea that the, the machine can detect your emotion from facial recognition and they, here the example is the tutor reacts to facial cues of boredom in the student. <laughs> well, it's never stopped lecturers. Badges. I'm hearing a lot of um, chatter about badges, and badges. I can see a very viable um, application for that. You know, like I think badges are going to be big, not because there's anything fancy about them. There's nothing technical about them. You could draw a badge on a piece of paper, but the concept of being able to pick up discrete skills and recognition in different forms, rather than a centralised, you know, national framework of some sort, I think that'll be big. Yeah, I agree with you, Rose, and I think the MOOC um, movement well, or micro credits trend there. has had a lot to do with that. Yeah, I love micro MOOCs. credits on there. I, I noticed that um, when people speak with derision about um, Coursera and places like that, where it's mostly video based, I think they're fabulous. There's there's so much stuff. Like um, there's, I'm currently enrolled in about twelve of them, and. I've just never been happier. There's stuff on jazz appreciation. There's stuff on science. It's fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And and there are um, you know reading material. It's it's actually quite well set out. You can actually navigate your own path if you just want to watch the videos or if, if you want to join the discussions. I know it looks as if it's not well designed, but I reckon they're very well designed. It takes a, a certain kind of person, though. I mean, you have to be self-motivated for it. Mean, I like it myself as well. If it's a topic that interests me, it's great. But uh, I, I sort of have have my doubts if it's if it's uh, usable for for all types of of uh, of learning styles. If you if you need a bit more handholding through the process, the MOOCs are obviously, or as far as I have seen them not very effective in, in sort of pushing people along is a, a fairly high drop-off rate, um, um, obviously. But that I would be if you made, I mean, back in the days when education was free, there was a huge drop-off rate in universities mm. and stuff. So, so it's interesting that you say if you're self-motivated, um, if people aren't studying, if people are studying because they don't want to, I think that raises a whole other question. Why are people mm. studying unless they're genuinely motivated? Yeah, I think it's more Can than you that. Them? I think it's more than that, Rose. I, I I would agree with Leah. I've been I've enrolled in a couple of I guess what you would call MOOCs, a larger one and a smaller one, and didn't finish either because I couldn't. I I had stuff happening and I simply couldn't keep up, and it reached a point. It wasn't self-paced, and I reached a point where it, I was just. Too much for me to catch up on, and I just. Jenny finished that TAE diploma, which was uh, like almost. Well, that's more torture. But it is self-paced. Yeah, you can do it whenever you want. The MOOCs that I'm in, I'm revisiting. Um, I'm going back to ones that I enrolled in four months ago and popping into when I was last in there. If you are a social learner and need to engage with people, that might be a bit different. But it's all there. It, it is self-paced. It's truly self-paced. And the ones I've been involved in weren't. They they had um, kind of activity activities to do by a certain date and, oh, and I hate those. you know um, things that were you know online sessions that were on a particular night and you know all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. And yeah. um, I, I again just getting back to something you said, Leo, about um, takes a kind of person. I, I also am interested to look at the you know these technologies in terms of accessibility. I mean, I we are all highly educated, you know, proficient. Um, you know, people, you know, in complex jobs and we've all done a lot of learning, you know, we have qualifications, etc. And how, how would a person without the uh, skills to be able to manage their own learning, you know, cope in this world? I, I you know it concerns me that <clears throat> there is little here to support and encourage um, you know, people people without the, the not only attitudinal but actually talking about this list. No, no, just generally. In this you know. list. I mean, a lot of them they they might engage with within a formal learning environment, I guess, in which case they're going to be assisted. But you know, and we were talking about MOOCs, etc., and it concerns me that they are put forward as education for the masses, but but they are not, in my humble opinion. Anyway. Mm. You can probably see that in the stats, attendance stats of, of the MOOCs, it's, it's generally people with already um, tertiary qualifications uh, by a large margin uh, that attend those uh, MOOCs. But, but what are we yeah. talking about? I'm a bit surprised at what you're saying. How do we learn anything? We learn all the time by just grazing in these different places but when it comes to higher ed we seem to have this perception that it must be according to how we prescribe like I'm surprised that you're talking about that because people are grazing all over the place and MOOCs might be one of one of the things that's included in that. Do you know but, what I mean? But I, I, I just think we're talking about five to ten percent of the population. I, I think there's a large proportion of the population who are who are excluded from this world. I don't think so. I, you go to YouTube and look at how many people are teaching each other stuff. That stuff restores my faith in humanity. There's people teaching, there's little girls, 11 year olds, teaching each other how to tie a bow. It's To me that's the biggest learning environment in the world. That's, and that's the basis for that is um, the core or foundation for CourseMOS, which is the micro-learning environment that's just through your phone. So essentially you interact with, with um, learningware, as they call it, only through your mobile environment in a micro-environment. So it's very short episodic skill or um, experience-based transmission. And... Uh, yeah, it's not in the full framework of a million people and so on. I'll put it in the chat. It's another example of micro-learning, micro-credit. Micro-learning. Uh, I like that term. So, Robin, MMC yeah, stuff, is it specifically related to formal structured learning? No, well, it's, it's high. This, it's, yeah, it's not informal. This is particularly related to higher education. Okay, so it is okay. there now. So it's not we're not really talking about kind of community learning and and informal personal learning and that kind of stuff. Okay. But but I think in terms of uh, issues and challenges, <clears throat> there's you know there are things there that perhaps we need to to consider. I mean, I you know I've been in, in the environment that I work in with the type of field that I, I currently work in, there are teaching staff there who um, are having trouble using Word. So, yeah. and they don't, they actually don't know or they, they probably, it's, don't know isn't the right term, but they, it's not in their um, kind of normal life <laughs> to Google things that they don't know how to do. So if they don't know how to do something in Word, 
and they can't ask someone, they just don't do it. So anyway, it's an interesting debate about you know whether what percentage of the of the of the world does engage in this stuff. But hmm. is there anything else that that's missing in that list? I, I take on board your comments that because I, I agree that things are in some cases too broad and in some cases you know not clearly defined. So if, if you find stuff like that and you shoot it through to me, I'll because remember this is a kind of a closed space. It's not a it's not a public process. So anything that you want to add you'll have to send through me, I think. I'm just wondering whether there are tools on there that students would use, like um, organising tools, mind mapping, all that kind of stuff. Are there is is this also just the perspective of the institution or are you talking about tools that people might be using? I think this is more domain level. I think you would, yeah, I think you would need to kind of um, categorise those in some way, I mean, in terms of their functionality, I mean, what do they do? I mean, the other thing that's not on there in any sense is really, I thought, as I've missed it, is, is you know, stuff, and I hate, I'm starting to hate the word curation, but that kind of, <laughs> no, that's um, stuff I'm you know, that kind of uh, filtering, um, sharing kinds yeah. of spaces, I, which I think uh, are essential, but they're, they're not there in any no. sense, I don't think. I think sort of the collective intelligence and syndication tools for me seem to cover part of what, what you just said. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Collective intelligence is a, is probably a good term to encompass that. So I'm just yeah. reminded of that young kid who got the startup um, funding, and he found a way of summarising text. And do you do you know who I'm talking about? I can't remember exactly what his tool yeah. did, but it 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 basically got keywords and stuff, and you could skim, like scan through readings and stuff. So that just got me thinking about students starting to use those kinds of things in learning to like using data to organise their own learning. Mm. I actually have to unlearn this. I used to, I've, I've learned to speed read and pick out words. Now I can't read a novel, sit, sit down with a novel and read it from, from um, start to end. End to end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe it, yeah. I, still I think it can, I think, for, from, from the list, I, I can't, I can't yeah. really see anything glaringly missing yeah, at this point. Yeah, it's very... I don't I see what, what we take off. Well, <laughs> well that's it. I mean, well, robotics we, we, doesn't appear in there. We, we, take, we, there. we take them off by voting for, looking at it and saying, okay, what, what's most significant now and into the near future? What, well, you know, that's what we, we should do now, what in do the we, time remaining, rather than... Yeah, you're... you're I mean, there will be some things around the edges there. You think, oh, that shouldn't be there, but that should be. But you'll find that if you've got Statistic to pick three... Statistical machine translation seems a very odd one, even after reading what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. uh, in the enabling, I could find a few things that, for me, just don't make a lot of sense. And perhaps need to be re rebadged. Yeah, in some like way, cellular or? networks. Uh, if that's the, yeah, there's quite a few there that are, are yeah, we we are we are full on um, using them. They're sort of part of the fabric these days, um, and yeah. there's some oddities there. I think. Mm. That'll just get reality. Where's that? What was that, Alex? Augmented reality. I'm just trying to think where it fits in. I mean, it fits across a number of these here, but it's, it could be quite specific. AR is a huge thing within tertiary yeah. HDI, human computing interfacing. It seems to be missing from here. Yeah, yeah uh, and, visualization, information visualization, visualization and holographic displays, that kind of area mm, might yeah, cover a bit. It might, yeah. That's pretty broad, yeah. though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is surprising that it's not there in its own mm. right, I think, because yeah. 
it has been significant in, in past reports. It actually came out. And, it, know, and, and it's significantly an used, significantly playing a part in, in a great deal of um, um, gestural control interfacing. Um, there, uh, and, and yeah, ARs, ARs, ARs big news. It's not, not gone away. Yeah. So, no, mm. certainly agree. I would mm. um, So, interested to hear what you think the uh, trends are. What What's happening just in terms of general general trends that you are see, seeing and sensing in your worlds in terms of technology. I think the identity integration is probably one of the biggest trends that I'm seeing moving at the moment as the the ubiquitous nature of the interface to say add this to this uh, and you know uh, set and forget so that your identity is 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 um, pushing between one environment and the other I mean I've got I don't know how many applications now and I couldn't I wouldn't be able to even turn all of them off I wouldn't know what was talking to what and what was picking what up and pushing it where else? It's, it's just ridiculous. It's a minefield. I went into the back of even just Google uh, Chrome the other day and found like 117 applications, extensions, drilling information out of my, um, out of my, my just my general activity. What? And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that goes to what Robin was saying before. If you having trouble with that, imagine people just getting started in in uh, in the technology field that aren't aware or haven't uh, haven't actually got the means of finding these things. Can you say that again, Alex? I'm not sure I understood you. Well, you know how you go to you go to a social media environment. It says, "Do you want to log in with Facebook?" You say, yeah. "Okay." So I log in with Facebook. I've got login. I've got Facebook open in another browser. So it picks that up and says, "Log in with that." And then you're looking at something that says, would you like to add the extension for that? And you say, yeah, I'll add the extension into my browser. And then when you're sorting around through things in your browser, you think it's getting a bit crowded up here. I might move that one out. You don't turn the extension off. It's still running in the background. You keep testing and adding new things and adding. And after a period of a couple of months, a period of time, there's, there's an invisible body of interconnected applications right. that are... That are that are just sprawling around in the background, drilling everything from everything. I'm thinking, hang on. But, but Alex, I think you are, you're the worst case scenario for this kind of stuff, trying new things and adding things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm exploring what connects to what. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's a number of apps that can that you can you can add an extension and irrespective of that, you, you travel to numerous sites, numerous environments, your identity is, is tracked. And then when after a period of time, it provides you back a visual interface of everything that's actually connected to what you do. And I've got, there's a couple of um, the visual visualizations of all of how, where your cookies are connected to, who's looking at who. Uh, there's a couple of apps in there. And I suppose that is information visualization in this respect, the visualization technologies. But it's about your identity. It's not about a set or discrete data set. It's actually about your identity. And identity management is, is, a, is a trend. Is a, is the, the tracking of identity is a... I've been always interested in it, but it seems to be picking up faster and faster and faster. If, if you're interested in that, uh, Rose, go, go to uh, Google's Data Liberation Project or, or Google Takeout, it's called, I think, these days where you can actually download all of the information that Google has collected on you and just go through. Oh, Jesus. Interesting, interesting experience. Can you ask them to remove it? Uh, I believe so, yeah. I think there's volusion as well. Google's actually fairly so. good on that in terms of the whole, they have, they have a whole um, team uh, or department designed to make sure that you can actually get your data out. Okay, so is that something that universities would use in the future? Like if I was running a university and lots of people were in workplaces and, you know, doing things in the field and stuff, would universities have, like, data systems that would do exactly that kind of stuff and aggregate what students are doing 
and um, that's that's the next mining. That's, that's what that's Leo's, Leo's, Leo's is, really. Yeah, okay. and Le, Leo's involved in a project, I suppose, with me and and Robert Fitzgerald looking at applications that drill uh, user participation, both voluntary and involuntary, and looking at the data chain uh, as to how an organisation can best harness a user's behaviour across the web as part yeah. of what they're presented as in their learning dashboard. But also let the users own that data and and, and claim yeah. that data. Well, claim that had, data, yeah. exactly, and that would have then applications for RPL and badges and all sorts of stuff as well, wouldn't it? Yep. Yes. Especially the, the, informal, the informal learning side of things, uh, being able to capture informal learning, which has always been a notoriously difficult thing to do, yeah. it will have a lot of implications. Yeah, yeah. So data, it's... Not Data's really at the center this time. I'm experimenting with um, yeah, data's a trend. Uh, I'm experimenting with uh, Impact Story. Uh, if you go to impactstory.org or go to Figshare, so that's where instead of your H index for academics um, being you know journals and being published in top ranking journals, your data becomes the actual uh, impetus for impact. So that's a trend moving away from um, from H-index to impact is a big trend in the higher education environment. So do you think um, do you think da data is is both a, a, a you know a challenge but also a, a kind of a, a positive trend? I mean, do do you think you know we're going to see incredibly, um, incredibly or user control over their data or, or less? Yeah. More and what it is is if you go to have a look at figshare.com, you can load up a photo, a series of photos of your cat, and you'll get awarded a digital object identifier for that, which is a large credit. And that track and trace credit can be then uh, traced across a whole range of different systems as to what it interacts with and how it's cited and how it's used. So the value of data becomes a lot higher for your own personal credit. Uh, and what I've been doing is going back into archives of things that I've collected around a project, uploading them into Figshare, and then republishing them out in the web. And the impact, you can see the impact through the framework. It's incredible how many people download, share, and cite your work. And, and Heather, Heather Pivoire and Jason from impactstory.org, they're doing an amazing job building a framework for tracking and tracing uh, user-generated data sets um, that are described, and uh, I think that's it's an, it's an important trend that's missing off this list here. Oh, well, that's uh, no citation of data. Actually, you could call it data publishing. It, broadly, it could be a theme called data publishing. There's open data. There's open data there, but it's but it's not. But open data is more the, the is more the um, bureaucratic mandate. Uh, that most people talk to. You know, it's public funding, so therefore the data must be open. And generally, when you go to try and resolve the data, all you find is the project report under CC BY. You don't actually resolve the data. You don't get the key um, results or the spreadsheets or images or uh, XML files or GIS renderings. You don't, you don't get that data set. You only get the describer, which is the top end and another trend is that data, instead of it being a supplement to a publication, it's now becoming the actual figurehead for, for your, your, your being known as a data publisher, not being known as a journal, you know, paper creator. So I see that as a trend in the higher ed environment. Okay. What about, finally, then, what about... Um Challenges in all of this for if you think about vet and higher ed, what challenges are we facing? I think at the top level, effectively, it's privacy is the key um, challenge that we face um, as individuals and collectively um, around what we do and where. Um, that these technologies are gradually. Um, are uh, introducing a new totalitarian transparency, which is, you know. <laughs> There's a quote. 
totalitarian transparency. Yeah, yeah, what is that? Well, I mean, you know, you know, NSA and data drilling is about transparency. We can be secretive or we can be transparent. So, as an as educational organize, as educational organizations, we're collecting more and more data on individuals. We're tracking where they are, what they're doing, how they're doing it, how they're interacting, at what time, and we're making meaning from it. And if we do that, uh, that is I, that I, becomes say, a gradual invasion of privacy. I, I'd say we're trying to get meaning from that. I, I don't think that's that that's from a technical perspective. Where, where we yeah, have yeah. most of the challenge. I mean, we've been collecting analytics and stats about learners for ever since we've done online learning, but we haven't been able to make sense of it. Of it. Uh, uh, and, and there's still a huge challenge in that. Um, yeah. And from a, from a student's yeah. perspective, I'm not sure if, if, the, if the privacy is actually from a student's point of view a, a big thing. I, I don't see students and my daughter starting um, um, this year at Adelaide as well, um, they don't seem to care a lot about that. It's That might be our skewed view of things, Alex, because we deal a lot in that area. Personally, that, that's well, my view. Well, yes, generational, but also it's, it's, it's two paradigms that exist. One is socio-technical. We're all caught up in it. We're enamored by technology. We use technology in everyday life. Without it, we feel lost or we feel disconnected. But ethically, socio-ethically, uh, this technology is pervasive. It's drilling mm -hmm. deeper and deeper. It creates it creates more and more fear. It creates more and more homogeny, you know, discord. But that's that's just the separation. Uh, I, I agree with you that data that this environment where but we have every intent to use the data. We have every intent to use it. We're, we're seeking out opportunities to make meaning and sense out of it. That is our intent. That's a socio-technical intent. But it is a double-edged sword in terms of the data because the data you, you gather can be used for, for different means. I mean, we face, and I think that's in the higher ed sectors especially, a lot of uh, faculty are actually um, dead against um, learning analytics because they fear it's actually going to be used to track uh, performance, staff performance, which it could be used mm -hmm. for quite quite easily. And that would not be such a bad thing. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> or or I currently agree. Performance, is measured, performance is measured by what conferences you attend, what papers exactly. you submit to what journal, uh, and less and less, uh, at, sorry, increasingly about the data that you produce in relation to that activity. In the, the past, it's really been relationships. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And that so um, trends, Robin. Anyway, that's that's what I want to contribute. I think as a trend is around data. Yeah, I agree with you. From this is fascinating. It's really good. Anything else? I I think apart Thomas? from. From practically, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time um, learning analytics and, and those areas which I talked about. But um, personally, I think that the whole maker spaces uh, or or um, co-working or or the um, uh, hubs that are popping up everywhere um, is a is a, a very interesting and very fast-growing trend from from what I can see. All the hacker spaces um, that are that are popping up all over the place. They're they're uh, uh, to a large extent uh, um, driven by by students. Can you say more? Can, can you describe what you're saying? Can you explain? Oh, sorry. The, the maker spaces is basically where where people get together on weekends or 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 in their own time to to create things. Now that, that might be art, that might be machines. It's a lot going on in the electronic side of things or software. Um, creating apps, so so it's it's basically co-creating where a, a bunch of people get together um, um, uh, for a hackathon to create a create uh, apps mm. uh, over a weekend. Which is of course how the PC was born. Yeah, yeah. that's it. You know, the whole sort of, uh, of knowledge. Apple, uh, Microsoft, uh, you know, Bill Gates and 
What was uh, Bill, Bill Gates' yeah, friend? Yeah, I can't see this child. Steve C, what was his name? Steve, Steve... Um... Jobs. No, not Steve. Wozniak. Steve Wozniak. What? Yeah, that was Steve, yeah. Steve. I, I, I wonder um, what the role of makerspaces is, though, in formal education. I mean, it, 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 it's, I would think it definitely, uh, you know, a lot of potential in community ed, and it'd be nice mm. to think that it's kind of a new version of the old um, neighbourhood, you know, the houses and centres and things like that. It's ironic that you're, you're talking about that because all the young people I see in the workplace who are studying at uni, their number one complaint is group work. So it's I ironic that you're talking about group work in a very real way, as in communities of practice, where group work at university is so staged and fake and badly designed usually. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I actually agree that that in that area that uh, that they would have a lot of application oh. and and well, I think yeah, pure it, it's really how, how do you get how do you get the results back into into uh, the formal process? Mm. Or how do you design it in a way that it's meaningful? Like yeah, yeah, that sort of comes back to professional development for teachers and and having the right people. Like maybe the current people in tertiary education aren't the right the right people to deliver tertiary education in the future. Maybe. Mm, researchers would be very worried by that statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'd be left right out of the picture then. But at that tertiary level, like one thing I've often wondered is at, at PhD or uh, master's level, do you really need professors? Like do you really need or at that level, should it really be becoming those self-directed, peer-based network, social learning kinds of strategies? Pe people who are actually e expert in their fields, in, in the practice. Yeah, I, I see. I see the best of both of them. I see the best of professorial academics who are absolutely brilliant in the rigor. In their ability to titrate and analyse information that's incredibly complex, and to socialise it, and and to and to really make meaning around um, uh, you know social dynamics and where things are happening. But then there, there are others that are incredibly insular, incredibly self-centred, and and one-minded, and yeah. really are only there to get up the chain that they're after. You know, um, they really are not interested in a knowledge-based um, uh, acquisition or aggregation. So I think you get the best. You always, you always have a mixture. You will always have a mixture of good and bad. Yeah. You've got to remember it's not just bad. It's very easy. Do to you think? Do you think universities are going to um, split into teaching and re and research? Um, do you they think we'll end up with some that are... Uh, no, they're trying to do both at the moment. Very badly think, in many cases. Yeah, I think that the, the, web, the webinar that's going to be held by Australian National Data Services tomorrow... Uh, sorry, on Thursday, Thursday I think it is, lunch... To, uh, no, tomorrow, it's at 1 o'clock tomorrow through uh, ans.org.au. It's about the changes to... Um, to the high, to ARC and, and HREC, to higher research councils, uh, that the funding body is going to be completely shifted. And that's going to fundamentally shift everything that occurs across higher educational, the way that faculties are driven, the way that business centres are developed. Um, you know, there's a huge amount of um, collusion between enterprise and consortiums with universities now. You can't can't move for the for the badging and the labelling of you know commercial product. It's ridiculous. It seems to me that that's a, a fairly serious issue and challenge at the moment. Is that to me it would appear that higher ed has lost its way a little bit. It doesn't mm -hmm. quite know who it is anymore. No, well, it's <laughs> rock ed as well and school ed. Like the the whole I think all layers 
that would be true of. Kind of needs everything to be thrown up in the air and let it kind of fall in a different way and see what see what happens. When it, when it, when an organisation turns its concourse of information over to a corporation in 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 entirety, you know there's something fundamentally that's changed within the structure of that once bastion scholastic or scholar-based environment. I mean, how many universities are now almost solely driven through Google Apps? And without that identity framework or, sh or handshake, they wouldn't exist. We had we had Google go down at ANU for four hours the other day, and they logged like 300 calls to the ITS help desk in that four-hour period. That's wow. equivalent to the full week. So it just got, and, and it actually has got nothing to do, Google has got nothing actually to do with the transfer of, of email interchange. Um, it's Office 365 in the university. So it just goes to show how fundamental uh, the core of corporate um, play is on higher education environments. And, and, and I think so that's, what you that's what... Was it, was it Google that went down or Office 365? No, uh, Google's connection with um, ANU's uh, interchange with Google's um, servers was 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 blocked for went down for four hours. Yeah, it, wow. it caused a mild panic across all what? faculties. Like everybody freaked out. So it shows that the collective mind spirit around I need to do something. I've got a action. I'm actually working in Google Docs, or I'm sending information, or trying to find information out that's critical at the moment, or using applications that are identity matched to that um, you know that, that provider. So it's just an example, I think, of, yeah, higher ed is, has markedly shifted, yeah, big time. I have a question about the list and assistive technologies in terms of uh, learners with disabilities. Is there a trend there of the technologies being much more sophisticated than they used to be? Yeah, um, given, so. no? Mm. I think so, but they're, I, I, they're still very expensive, I think. Although you know there there are some apps increasingly I think there are um, uh, apps that are more more and more apps available that are useful in that. I, I think the text to speech and speech to text area is making leaps and bounds there. That's uh, with with the whole. Um, I think the the best example would be that Apple Siri or or Google Now being able to really do most of the controlling of those devices via via voice, and it actually works. Yeah, yeah. I don't see I don't I don't see assistive technology on there. Mm. No, yeah, assistive, and not assistive technology is massive. With assistive technology, there's another thing that I'm thinking about, and that is the increasing. Uh, sophistication in terms of people understanding disabilities where once upon a time blind was blind was blind whereas um, like, like I'm thinking with neurological conditions and other you know learning problems and that sort of stuff there's or even things like dyslexia that autism those sorts of things they're much better understood and there are lots of different kinds of disabilities that used to be treated as the same thing in the past so I'm wondering about yeah, the potential yeah, um, Alex, you sent through that TED talk from that, uh, that fellow who was paralysed pretty much from the neck mm -hmm. down, yep. and he drone. was using sorry, using a drone. He was using a drone. He was using a, to be, using a drone to interact, but also using just his eyes to actually spell out. So the assistive was on a gestural control, and in actual fact, oh. it was an adaptation of an Xbox. So how fabulous is that? Yeah, I mean, otherwise this guy would have just been rendered mute in any, even a decade ago. And yeah, but he was able to interact, interact with his family and, you know, although he was sitting in his bed basically or in his wheelchair, he was out interacting with his family with this quadcopter and he could see his family out in the yard playing and he was able to communicate with the family via the quadcopter. It was quite amazing. Yeah. It is, so assistive technology could be on there. Whether it more broadly comes under one of the other, I'm not yeah, sure. But I'll have a look. I think. And maybe, maybe getting back to where we were laughing about that, effective computing before maybe um, rose in terms of, you know, kids with autism, etc. Et maybe there's a link there. Mm. Mm. 
Well, on that note, I think we probably should wrap up the recording at least. We can. Um, Michael on. said he would listen to it if it wasn't too long. <laughs> no more than an hour. I fear we may have uh, may have gone over that, Michael. So if you're still not, listening, you're doing well. Not a lot. <laughs> so thanks, thank you all. I'll, I'll attempt to feed your thoughts in, and if you think of anything else or have any good links, etc., please send them to me, and I'll um, make sure I include them. Mm, okay, sounds good. Well, that's all. I shall formally end the uh, the podcast. <laughs>